You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Breaking news off the top. More evidence of the dangerous wildfire conditions right now. Crews tackling another fire near Kamloops. It's believed to crash off the Trans-Canada Highway near Cherry Creek ignited this brush fire late this afternoon. Traffic on the Trans-Canada Highway was blocked in both directions for a short time to allow fire crews to tackle the flames. There are structures in the area, but so far it's not believed any of them have been scorched yet. 11 fixed-wing aircraft and 47 firefighters are battling a fire that's now 15 hectares. Now, this comes as crews south of Penticton spent much of the day fighting hot spots from the Kaledon wildfire. Terrifying moments late yesterday afternoon when it broke out in a residential area and quickly spread. John Hua is in that neighborhood for us tonight. John, what have you learned about where and how this fire might have started? Well, we're standing here in this orchard, and as you can see, it's completely covered in fire retardant. But that didn't stop fire from taking over the area. Nearby's residents say it was completely engulfed in a matter of just 20 minutes. They also say they believe this was the starting point of the entire blaze. As firefighters threw everything they had at the quickly escalating blaze, Kaledon residents were left with only moments to get out. This went so fast, we just had seconds to get out of that driveway. So that is not good. The fire breaking out at about 3.15 Tuesday afternoon, scorching a total of 6.5 hectares of the Kaledon hillside. 183 homes placed on either evacuation order or alert. Embers would be picked up with the wind and would drop up to 300 metres ahead of the fire, so downwind, and start little fires. As people slowly made their way back to their homes, hit by the stark realization of how much worse it could have been. Because it's a tinderbox around here in the summer. There's so much dry grass and the pine trees. Larry Richardson fighting the fire on his own, trying to save the heavy equipment around his home. Uh, the backhoe is pretty well melted on one side. Well, I can tell you I burnt my hands getting into it, so it was ready to ignite. And while officials say that this fire is being held, here's one example of how close things came. You can see we're on a road covered in fire retardant. On one side, you've got an orchard completely gutted by fire. On the other, dry grass just waiting to catch a blaze. Neighbors say that orchard may have been the starting point, a property left vacant for the past 10 years. It had jumped into another tree and then to another tree, and then they just started going crazy all over the place. Started this fire season signaling a serious threat. Buildup index yesterday was higher than it was in 1998 here, in 2003 and 2009. Forestry told me we're about a week ahead of even those bad years right now. While one house and a few sheds were badly damaged, neighbours say if not for the work of firefighters, catastrophe could have easily hit up to 10 more Kaledon homes. And after the valiant efforts of firefighters, there are many residents in Kaledon who are feeling blessed, their homes left intact. But of course, that's bittersweet because there's one family whose home has been left badly damaged by the fire. And they say now it's time for the community to rally around them. Sophie? 
All right, John, thanks for that. Now a quick snapshot of the province right now. Today's fire danger rating map showing the majority of the province is rated high to extreme. We'll check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon a little later for a detailed look at the days ahead. We should also note a campfire ban is going into effect for the Coastal Fire Centre. So for the entire majority of the Coastal Fire Centre, excluding Haida Gwaii and the Fog Zone, there will be a campfire ban as well as a Category 2 and Category 3 open fire prohibition in effect at noon Thursday, July 6th. And it is not just fire crews being kept busy. Summer often also means an uptick in rescues on the water and in the mountains. Grace Key has more on the warning for outdoor enthusiasts. Hundreds of people took advantage of the warm, sunny weather. At Lynn Canyon Park in the district of North Vancouver, hikers headed for the trails to enjoy the outdoors. To find a parking spot here was just about ridiculous. We're just going to explore the hikes. We haven't been here in a while, so we're just going to see where see where it takes us. With so many people headed outdoors, it's no surprise rescuers were busy with three calls on Tuesday. Two men had to be long-lined off of Mount Harvey. They had no proper gear and came across a large patch of snow. At 2.45 in the morning, North Shore Rescue walked out two lost hikers from the west side of Mosquito Creek in the Skyline Drive area. And firefighters used an inflatable raft to rescue two men who were out of the water but stranded at Twin Falls Inland Canyon. Just uh, know where you're going, know your limitations and your abilities, and um, obviously let people know where you're going, and, and if you don't know, don't go. Hikers wanting to head to Crown Mountain or Haynes Valley will have to wait a little longer. Metro Vancouver Regional Parks put out a reminder that the higher elevation trails at Lynn Headwater Regional Park are still closed. And it could be another three weeks before you head out into the backcountry. Uh, we have about three to four meters of snow in the backcountry right now. It's really unusual. It's, uh, we've got a fire hazard in the lower elevations and we have a snow load in the upper elevations. Heading out prepared has always been the key message. And if you're like one hiker, you bring all the necessities, even on a short trip. In here, there's two jumpers. There's two lots of water. There's two lots of lunch. Uh, there's a first aid kit. Um, sunscreen. Tea. We've eaten morning tea. And that was in there. Grace Key, Global News. Well, the mystery deepens surrounding a homicide in Abbotsford we told you about on last night's news hour. I hit now identifying the victim as a 62-year-old man. Rumina Dea is live with more on this. Rumina, this is a bit concerning. Police can't say whether or not there's a risk to the public. Sophie, it's too early to know those details, and that's obviously disturbing to people who live in Abbotsford. As you mentioned, the victim is 62 years old. His name is Clarence Crothers, and he appears to be innocent. He's not known to police. He's a retiree. Abbotsford police first found his body yesterday morning. IHIT says his injuries are consistent with homicide, but they're not going into any details about a possible motive, about whether a weapon was found. So the killer is still out there tonight as investigators attempt to piece together whether this murder was targeted or random. It's early in the investigation and uh, having uh, limited information and not clear-cut evidence uh, doesn't dictate either way whether or not uh, Mr. Crowther's homicide was uh, committed by somebody who knew him or otherwise. All right, Romina, what do we know about the last person who might have spoken with Crothers? 
Well, we don't have any information as to who that person is, but we know that someone did speak to him at around 10 o'clock at his home on Monday night. His body was found about nine hours later on Tuesday morning. Now, people in the community today are saying that they're absolutely stunned. This is a person who was nice to everyone. He was liked by everyone. He loved riding his motorcycle. So it's just a mystery to them why someone would potentially target him. Again, IHIT is asking for the public's help tonight. They're asking anybody with information to please give them a call. So hopefully someone comes forward. Ramina, thank you. Some scary moments for diners in Surrey last night when gunfire broke out. It sounded like three because it was like pop, 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 you know, kind of like that. It happened around 8.30 outside a busy strip mall in Guildford. One of the bullets piercing the window of a packed sushi restaurant. Witnesses say the victim was sitting in a black Mercedes in the parking lot. He was shot several times. Police did arrest a man nearby, but he was later released. Uh, The Surrey RCMP did locate one person in the area matching the description. That person was arrested, but has since been released as he was eliminated as a possible suspect. RCMP say the victim is a 29-year-old Coquitlam man, and he is known to them. Almost six years to the day, Vancouver police have made an arrest in a murder in the Champlain Heights area of Vancouver. On July 25, 2011, 21-year-old Harpreet Sandhu was gunned down following an argument with a group of youths in South Vancouver. He later died in hospital. Today, police announcing 25-year-old Herval Hishiartilli of Vancouver was arrested yesterday and charged with second-degree murder. But police are still looking for more information. This victim was not known to police, not connected to any sort of gang lifestyle at all. Over the years, we've had some witnesses in the community that did decide to come forward, and that's what got us here today. We'd really like to see and hear from other witnesses that were there. Some time has passed. Now that information is out there, a charge has been laid, this person is in jail. We're asking those people to come forward and share that information with us because it's important. A somewhat satisfying update to the story of a Ferrari seized after the driver was busted excessively speeding over the Lionsgate Bridge for the second time. West Van police clocked the driver going 210 kilometers an hour over the bridge early Tuesday morning. Turns out this wasn't the driver's first offense. Four times he's been caught speeding excessively and each time the vehicle has been impounded. This time it was initially impounded for seven days, but after review by the superintendent of motor vehicles, that's been extended now to 60 days and a driving prohibition is now being considered. A young Surrey woman is in recovery tonight from a devastating medical emergency her family believes started with a spider bite. She has contracted flesh-eating disease, and as Jeff Hastings reports, it's changed her life forever. And that is a... On a nice summer morning, the kids are only thinking about their auntie Shy. She's been in Surrey Memorial Hospital for a month, the victim of necrotizing fasciitis, possibly from an infected spider bite. Flesh-eating disease is rare, but when it attacks, it's a vicious disease, and once it gets into the bloodstream, that it will come out anywhere. The 21-year-old was in an induced coma for 10 days, on life support for 12 perfectly healthy before she suddenly fell ill her right leg has been amputated below the knee i thought my daughter was gonna die i thought for the first five days that she wasn't gonna make it out of this as shy slowly woke up she knew something was wrong she wanted a pen she wanted to write out a question her first words in weeks was an m and then it was an i 
And then we figured out the rest. She wrote, am I missing foot? Was her very first question. This is Ronnie better. didn't want to be that the one to like, tell her daughter that her foot was gone. She's depressed. She's confused. She keeps repeating, Mom, my foot. It's, why me is like, I don't know. Recovery has been slow. Shy isn't clear of danger, but every day is a little better. While her first question was about her foot, her second was about her cat, who paid her a visit not long ago. There's a lot of people that have really supported Shy, whether it be through prayers, support, kind words. That's been a really big, big difference. The family is fundraising for what's sure to be a difficult journey ahead. We'll get through this. It's just one day at a time. Jeff Hastings, Global News. The crackdown on short-term rentals in Vancouver is one step closer to reality. Council set to vote on new regulations that would limit rentals on Airbnb or VRBO to primary residences only. Nadia Stewart has more on the regulations and how it's expected to impact the tight rental market. Nadia. The city says the goal is and has always been to increase rental supply. And they believe these tighter regulations could return about 1,000 units from the short-term to the long-term rental stock. Airbnb is effectively Vancouver's largest hotel. Not just Airbnb, Expedia, Vacation Rental by Owner and many more. Thousands of short-term rentals believed to be eating into the city's rental supply. We estimate at least a thousand units that could come back into the long-term rental supply that are currently being used for short-term rentals and would be uh, in violation of the regulations. The new proposed regulations would only allow short-term rentals of less than 30 days in private residences, either owned or rented. Hosts would have to get a business license and display that license number in their online listing. They'd also have to pay a $49 registration fee. Guests would pay a rental fee up to 3% similar to the hotel tax. As for what would not be allowed... We are not recommending that short-term rentals be allowed anywhere other than a legal dwelling unit or a principal residence. Investment properties, secondary suites, and laneway homes are all needed in our city more than ever before as long-term rental homes. At Airbnb, you can find holiday homes from over 190 countries... And it's that proposed limitation on secondary suites that isn't sitting well with at least one of the short-term rental companies. We're concerned about that. We're concerned about um, families who are using those kind of suites to supplement their income. But Vancouver's Renters Advisory Committee supports the proposed changes. The city has to do this. I mean, it would be ridiculous to not move on this on this issue, given the state that we're in. As for anyone caught breaking the rules. We will pursue uh, legal action against uh, folks who are operating outside of the framework. The report heads to council next week. The question now is whether or not this crackdown will bring about the desired outcome. For now, we'll just have to wait and see. Back to you. All right, Nadia in Vancouver, thank you. Well, at one time, it was a game-changing invention, a marvel of chemical engineering. But the plastic bag is a victim of its own success. The qualities that made it so popular, affordability and durability, have helped it become a menace to the environment. Tonight, one BC community has a plan to become the first in the province to ban the bags. But will it work in just over a minute? A tug of war at Wimbledon. A young tennis fan has the towel of his idol snatched out of his hands. What the U.S. tennis star did that turned into a social media sensation. And one of the greatest mysteries in aviation history may be solved. 
what this newly uncovered photo reveals about the disappearance of legendary pilot Amelia Earhart. That's coming up later. Well, plastic bags are recyclable, but many people either don't know or don't care. And so the plastic sacks have become the scourge of the environment. They end up in landfills, in oceans, and just about everywhere else. And so the city of Victoria is now considering drastic action. Nitu Garcha reports. Vancouver Island beaches are packed with plastic. Activists like Jamie McKay do monthly sweeps. This pile gathered in a matter of 30 minutes. The next day, less than five minutes, and he found all this at the same spot. Some of the items I've picked up in the last couple minutes here are some soft plastics, plastic bags. We find so many other other single-use items, but plastic bags are really a symbol of our wasteful culture. That's why McKay and other members of the Surfrider Foundation are celebrating a sweeping change expected in BC's capital city. We're just looking at banning the bag, placing a fee on paper bags, and really encouraging people to use reusable shopping bags. A thumbs up coming from even those seen with plastic checkout bags in hand. People just throw them away and they get in the ocean and all the fish are dying. I'm in favor. I think it would be a fantastic idea. Victoria leading the charge, hoping other regional municipalities will follow. We're not talking about revolutionary radical change. We've only used plastic bags for 70 years as a species. And I think, you know, if we can't imagine life without them, we have an imagination problem, not a plastic bag problem. It's so simple. To see just how simple, the Surfrider Foundation also challenging people to take part in a global movement called Plastic Free July. And we're basically just asking people to to refuse single-use plastics for the month. And while volunteers are armed with a petition nearly 9,000 names strong, the proposed bag ban bylaw still faces some heavy opposition. We don't think that this approach provides the best environmental or economic outcome. It's going to result in higher costs for consumers and in the experience of other municipalities who have banned plastic, it will increase the amount of plastic in their landfill. But as volunteers continue gathering signatures of support and gathering garbage from beaches, they're confident this fall, Victoria will become the first BC city to ban the bag. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Victoria. Some alarming aggression from North Korea. The U.S. caught off guard by the chilling threat from this new weapon. And high times. The magazine looking for a new pot columnist. Are you the ideal candidate? This baby seal, oh how cute, is on its way to the Vancouver Aquarium's Marine Mammal Rescue Center after being rescued from Thetis Island. Several people had spotted the cub over the past few days and this morning it was found apparently crying for its mother. Helicopter Wildlife Rescue flew in to pick it up and take it to the aquarium. Yet another sign tonight of the changing times in Canada's cannabis culture. Vancouver Magazine is looking for a columnist who will specialize in marijuana. But as Tetranecki reports, one job requirement might be a little hard to meet. Girl out can make an informed decision. Alcohol is rated, recommended, promoted, pointed, and awarded at wine tasting festivals and so on. Yeah, just across the street at a cannabis culture lounge, for a new consumer of a drug that'll soon be legal, there's a dearth of information. That's about to change. We are looking for someone who is a user. There's plenty of information in niche magazines, but this, it is believed, is the first mainstream media to hire a pot columnist. It doesn't have to be their life's work. They can be casual and curious about it. 
Now, there is a qualification required that one normally doesn't associate with marijuana users, and that is getting things done on time. They're going to have to, to meet a deadline. Stoners not being able to commit to a deadline or a task or any, of any sort is really more stigma-based than fact-based. For the uninitiated, there's a lot to learn. What's sativa, hybrid, indica? For a regular user, that's a laughable question. All the more reason for a columnist like Zach, who plans to apply for the job. I finished a program at Kwantlen, the Cannabis Professional Series. I would sit at my laptop and smoke joints the entire time. Yeah. And it never, you know, I never lost the ability to commit to something. Applications for the job close on Friday, but be aware there's more to it than just knowing a lot about pot. Our ideal applicant has a really good sense of tone, has a good sense of writing, has a good feel for this city and what people might be interested in and also what's new. Ted Chernaki, Global News. I can only imagine how many people will be applying. There will be a few. Swimmers scramble out of the way of a curious orca. What the aquarium says about this close call caught on camera. And a young tennis fan loses the tug of war over a towel, but what he got instead is even better. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau making another stop on his tour of Europe ahead of Friday's G20 summit. Today, a royal reception in Scotland. Trudeau visited Queen Elizabeth at her Edinburgh home. It's the second time the PM has met with the Queen. This visit arranged because she was unable to attend Canada 150 celebrations. Trudeau called their private chat, quote, warm and engaging. Played uh, knowledge and interest in uh, a wide range of global affairs and uh, goings on in Canada. It's always, always a pleasure to meet with her. Emergency meetings and phone calls are still buzzing across Washington, D.C. tonight as the U.S. scrambles to deal with a growing threat from North Korea. The rogue nation's launch yesterday of an intercontinental ballistic missile reportedly catching the American government by surprise. Tonight, new pictures of what North Korea claims is its first intercontinental ballistic missile, which could strike the United States, the U.S. calling it a new global threat. In an emergency meeting today of the U.N. Security Council, time is short. Action is required. The world is on notice. There was new taunting, too. Kim Jong-un said the missile test was meant to slap the American bastards in their face that it was a 4th of July gift package for the Yankees. And the showdown with the U.S. had reached its final phase. U.S. and South Korean forces here fired back with a military drill. Precision strike missiles meant to show they're prepared for war. And now, in stunning comments, the commander of American troops here saying all-out war is possible. Self-restraint, which is a choice, is all that separates armistice and war. We're able to change our choice when so ordered, said General Vincent Brooks. Tonight, the Pentagon revealing new details on the North Korean test, confirming the missile has not been seen before and withstood re-entry to the atmosphere, a key technical hurdle the North Koreans had been trying to master. This latest test, also a dangerous boost to the confidence of Kim Jong-un, who's dramatically increasing the number of missile tests after an all-time high last year. He is basically saying, hey, the G20, you were all the big shots meeting, but I'm the biggest threat to the international community, and you need to deal with me. That's the message he's sending. 
Some sad news now from the Canadian music industry as the lead singer of legendary band of a legendary band fights for his life. Music fans of a certain age will remember that street hard lead singer Kenny Shields is suffering from serious heart disease and has had emergency surgery to save his life. He's out of grave danger now, but he faces a long recovery, and so the band has canceled the remaining dates of its current farewell tour, and we wish Kenny the best in his recovery. In Health Matters tonight, the latest numbers on diabetes in B.C. are nothing short of shocking. Over the past decade, the number of people diagnosed with the disease has skyrocketed. And the next decade doesn't look much better. Linda Aylesworth now on what the experts say we need to do. Diabetes epidemic in British Columbia were released today in a report by Diabetes Canada. 1.4 million British Columbians live with diabetes or prediabetes in the next 10 years. We're expecting that percentage of 29% to rise actually to 32% of our population. That would give BC the unenviable honour of having the second highest diabetes rate in the country, the majority having the type 2 form of the disease. The reason... There's often a, a greater prevalence in the South Asian and the Chinese population, which we have a large uh, percentage of in British Columbia. As well, we have a large Indigenous population in BC. There is a simple online test at diabetestest.ca that measures an individual's risk factors and lets you know where you stand. It's a, a couple-minute online assessment asking your age, your family history of diabetes, uh, ethnic background, how many fruits and vegetables you eat, how, many, how much you exercise. They are among the things that can reduce your risk of diabetes and the $418 million it costs BC's medical system each year. To that end, Diabetes Canada has made recommendations to the provincial government. Increasing the age of the insulin pump eligibility from 25 to all British Columbians. To looking at providing access to new medications. The NDP's response, we will enhance support to British Columbians living with and at risk of diabetes and remove the age restrictions on access to the insulin pump program for people over 25. 765,000 British Columbians have yet to be diagnosed. So take the online test and talk to your doctor. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, investigators think they've solved the mystery of Amelia Earhart's final flight. And I'd say this is very likely. The new evidence found on a shelf in the National Archives. And was this orca looking for lunch? What the experts say about a close call for a couple of swimmers. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, we're all familiar with this kind of coffee art after the forecast. How this barista is taking it to the next level. Got to see some of his stuff. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Right now, though, let's check in with Christy Gordon. Another gorgeous summer day out mm -hmm. there. Hot even. Yes, potentially dangerously hot, starting tomorrow right through until Sunday, and it has prompted Environment Canada to issue a special weather statement. So right through to the end of the weekend, upper 30s, and this is from Hope, east all the way across southern B.C., up into the Caribou, Chilcotin region, and Thompson area. The reason why they're issuing this, because they're concerned about babies, elderly, elderly in uh, homes, in cars, 
and it's tinder dry out there as well. We've got campfire bans across much of the province, and what has been included is coastal regions. Tomorrow at noon, that is now in place, all coastal regions except the west coast of Vancouver Island, where they call it the fog area. Uh, that is not included, but this is the scene out there right now, and the UV index is at a 9. That is very high, and that means if you're outside, your skin will burn within 10 minutes. It's beautiful, though. Just make sure you're careful. These are your temperatures out there right now. 36 in Kamloops. These are close to record-breaking, but no records as of yet today. But we do expect a number of them to fall tomorrow. So today was the start of the heat, but tomorrow will really bump up, especially into your Friday for those of you in the interior. So here are your forecast temperatures for tomorrow. Mainly sunny. Look at Smithers hitting 28 degrees. Prince George, 31. Quinell, 32. Bella Coola, 30 degrees for you. 32 in Williams Lake, but a holy... 37 degrees in through Kamloops. And then down through these areas into areas like Lytton, Lillooet, uh, potentially even Pemberton, you can expect 38 degrees in those areas. Uh, Soyuz at 35. I think that's actually fairly conservative for you. But keep in mind, Thursday is the start of it. Friday will be even hotter for those of you in the interior and for the south coast region. You'll see a range in temperature as always, but the heat really will peak on Thursday. Friday, though, things don't taper off that much just by another degree. So 28 degrees inland on Friday, and we continue with that heat right through until Sunday. Terrific uh, summer-like weather for all the kids out there, but make sure you're careful. Elizabeth Boras turns 100 today, and William Lloyd as well from Fort Langley. Congratulations to you both. And it is time for our weather window. It's We Love Water Wednesday, and today's photo is from Gibson's. Pam Fominov sent us this photo from her, of her front yard, and she decided to go grass-free to save water. Great idea. Low maintenance looks great too. So thanks so much, Pam, for that one. If you would like to send us your We Love Water photo, just uh, email us at weatherwindow at globaltv.com and you can also check out the website welovewater.ca for more ideas. All right. Thanks, Christy. You're welcome. A South Korean barista is raising the bar for coffee art, never mind the flowers and the smiley faces. As nice as those are, Lee Kang-bin is being recognized for recreating famous paintings on coffee tops like Van Gogh's The Starry Night and Edvard Munch's The Scream. Lee says he started making coffee art after leaving the military. He now has his own cafe and more than 160,000 Instagram followers. He also teaches other baristas. That is amazing. Would you want to drink it, though? Probably not. I want to wreck it. You have a multicolored mustache. You have to... <laughs> Milk mustache, right. Yeah, that's right. Well, a rare sight caught on video off the B.C. coast. We have a beautiful little black bear swimming his way over to the beach. Campbell River resident Nick Templeman says he first thought this was a sea otter, but then he got a little closer. Templeman backed off his boat to give the bear some space, and he ordered his dog not to jump in after it. Trailing one foot behind it, the bear eventually made it to shore. And orca sightings off the B.C. coast are always exciting, but this one a bit close for comfort. Yeah, check this out. A couple of swimmers scrambling onto the rocks of West Vancouver's Whitecliff Park when one male decided to swim in for a closer look. Were they in danger? What do you think? Well, here's what the experts say. Better safe than sorry. Um, 
the chance of a predatory attack where the whale actually wants to eat the people is really low. They've got a very strong idea of what food is, and we're not on the menu, thank goodness. But, uh, so, as I say, if I, if I was a swimmer, I don't really want to be the first person in the record books to be, to be killed or injured by a killer whale, so I, I, I'd hop out too. Call, gentlemen. Excellent <laughs> call. Well, competition is fierce at Wimbledon, but no one expects that to extend into the stands. A young tennis fan lost a tug-of-war for a towel that was thrown to him by American tennis star Jack Sock. Now, the man who yanked it out of the boy's hands is now the subject of much online ridicule. But as NBC's Kelly Cobiea reports, the player immediately set out to make things right. A towel fight for the ages. American tennis pro Jack Sock just won his Wimbledon match when a young fan appeared to shout out for a sweaty souvenir. A toss, but then a grab. The young fan left empty-handed. We're a bit flabbergasted, really. I mean, it's not terribly Wimbledon behavior. Ridiculous, especially an adult with a child. Just awful, tweeted the U.S. Open. And from world number one Andy Murray's mom, you should be ashamed. Jack Sock wasn't happy either, tweeting, If anyone knows the kid that unfortunately had the towel ripped out of his hands, tweet his name at me and I'll be sure to get him one. That swipe out of bounds at Wimbledon, where politeness and manners matter. That was bad sportsmanship. (laughs) It happens at baseball games. Took it right from her. At hockey games. Are you kidding me? Somebody get that. Sometimes, with a little help from Derek Jeter, the kids win. Yep. Now, it's Wimbledon's turn. The young fan and the man in the hat haven't been named, but tonight a spokeswoman for Jack Sock said the fan answered Sock privately on Instagram. Sock offered a new towel and a personal invitation to watch him play. Who's the winner now? Kelly Cobiella, NBC News, London. What was that guy thinking? Did the old dude really need the towel off that badly? He, oh he's going to look at that and regret it. Yeah. For oh, sure. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we just saw how hot it is going to be mm-hmm. over the next little while. Mm-hmm. Got to drink lots of water on Water Wednesdays. I like the reminder of that. <laughs> very, very sharp. Squire is here, too. What are you working on? Well, um, we have a question. What is Oleo Levy's ETA for the Vancouver Canucks? I need to get stronger and, and bigger to be able to play in NHL. He is getting bigger, but is he ready for the main stage? Oh, not on me. Okay. We were doing the diabetes test that Linda talked about. You were, you were checking it out. Yeah. And your number is 10. It's low. Yeah, it's Which 10. Which is low. We'll do Which ours. Is, is it like do golf? Ours in the you next want a low score? Break? You want a low score. So it's like golf. Yeah. I understand that. <laughs> you both did that today. Okay. Yeah, your yeah. Score? Oh, it was... Hi. It was, well, if it, if it was a diabetes test, I'd be in serious trouble. Okay. That uh, David Villa and New York City FC are up against the Whitecaps tonight at BC Play Stadium. Vancouver got run over by a World Cup champion, Bastian Schweinsteiger in Chicago, 4-0 on the weekend. Tonight they'll face a couple of World Cup legends in one game. Italy's Andrea Pirlo and Spain's aforementioned David Villa. They are here. It's nice to see two legends show up to play without any complaint about artificial turf. Villa was a league MVP last year, 23 goals. The Caps must stop him or it's a done deal. Speaking of done deals, just like Kevin Durant did the other day with the Golden State Warriors, Connor McDavid did not empty the Oilers' bank account for his new contract. Now, the contract is still big. $100 $100 million over eight years. But that's about $6 million less than McDavid could have gotten out of Edmonton. 
He took less because he wants the Oilers to have some money to sign other players. A unique player, but he also cares about his teammates. You heard what he said about his teammates, and he, he expressed that very clearly to me. So um, he, he wants us to ice a winning team, as we all do, as the fans of Edmonton do. So that's what we're going to try and do. Being here for the next nine years is uh, something that was important to me. I wanted to show my commitment to the Oilers organization, the fans, the city. Um, I'll show that, uh, that I'm in it for the long haul, and, and I want to win here. Well, they aren't trying to lose. They want to win, but the Canucks need their kids to get better in order to be good again. And because they don't have the advantage or the luck of a Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews falling in their laps at draft day, their rebuild will be slow and steady. And part of that rebuild is defenseman Ole Olevi. Among the baby faces at the Canucks prospect camp is one they hope will grow up very fast, Ole Yolevi. I thought he, for a young man, like he, he has a presence to him already. Just a big guy. It's amazing watching how just how he moves and then how he moves pucks. So he drives down the wall and all of a sudden he, he lays a perfect pass, not to the guy who's immediately in front of him, but the guy who's 20 feet behind him. Yolevi wide open. What a pass. Beautiful goal. Now, if you just looked at his stats, you would see that nothing changed with Yolevi. He had the same amount of points this past year as he did the year before. But he himself believes there were important changes in his game and lessons learned. I think I, I learned a lot of ice and what I do of ice, I think that was the biggest thing. And you can't really see that on the games that much, but that's the habits of ice. And what do you do when you're practicing and you're not actually in a game? And look who the Canucks brought back to help Yolevi learn to convert what he has as a junior into NHL material. It's Sammy Sallow, a guest coach, and he'll also be working with Yolevi when the Finnish junior team gathers together later in the summer. He's very poised with the puck, which, which is a great asset for a defenseman, uh, you know, trying to break out, that you don't get rattled quickly. He's very poised, uh, skates well, sees the ice well, so, uh, but you know, he's still a young kid, so there's a lot of work, work to be put in and uh, to make the jump uh, to the NHL. But the NHL this season is the Canucks' hope for Yolevi. He's too young for the AHL. He has to be 20. He's only 19. And not much would be gained by going back to junior. He could play in Europe for a year, but maybe, maybe there's a chance he could be a Canuck by October. Two years ago he was injured. Last year went to the Memorial Cup draft, etc. So he's had some time this year to put into his off-ice training. He's 197 pounds now, and uh, I think that's a big part of getting stronger for him. Um, uh, Certainly, uh, he's got great hockey sense, and we'll see where he's at at uh, training camp. An afternoon in the Bronx. You've been there, haven't you? Yeah. Not at the new stadium, though. No. Just the old one. All right. Well, you saw the old one, which is probably nicer to see. I mean, new one's nice, but it's not the old one. Uh, Justin Smoke. Two-run blast for the Blue Jays. They won the game. Well, it wasn't the most exciting way, but a walk brought in. Toronto's winning run, and they did win it 7-6 over the Yankees. Francoise Abanda of Montreal. Second round match at Wimbledon, taking on Yelena Ostapenko, who did win the French Open this year. So not an easy thing to do, but Abanda won the opening set 6-4. Second set went to tiebreaker, but Ostapenko saved herself, winning the second set 7-6. And she won the third set as well. But hey, good run, though. 
for Abanda to take the French Open champ all the way and nearly beat her in two sets. No Canadian women left in women's singles. That's an interesting way to celebrate. All right, so last year's men's champ is Andy Murray. Taking on Dustin Brown. No, not the LA Kings Dustin Brown. Not the Stanley Cup champion Dustin Brown. A different one. Andy Murray, nice little drop shot there. Oh, that is a tragedy. So, Dustin Brown loses. Andy Murray wins 6-3, 6-2, 6-2. Milos Ronich plays his second round match tomorrow. There you go. All He's right. got a lot of hair. I don't know how he moves around the tennis court. Like, it's just a ton Maybe of hair. Maybe that was part of the problem. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Squire. All right. We're going to be back with a possible solution to one of the greatest aviation mysteries ever. All right. Thanks very much, Cheryl. Well, listen, it's one of the most enduring mysteries in aviation. What happened to Amelia Earhart and her navigator? They disappeared on an around-the-world flight back in 1937. But a newly uncovered photograph might solve the mystery about what happened to them. 25 years ago, the world's most famous aviatrix was missing over the Pacific. The question tonight, does this photograph, found by History Channel investigators in the National Archives, prove Amelia Earhart and navigator Fred Noonan ended up in Japanese custody? We discovered that Amelia Earhart survived her final flight and landed safely in the Marshall Islands. You're confident? We are very confident. The photograph is marked Marshall Islands Joliet Atoll in 1937 under Japanese military control. On the left, a man standing next to a sign, and there, sitting on the dock, what appears to be a woman with short hair wearing pants like Earhart. Facial recognition expert Kent Gibson overlaid the photo of the man with file photos of navigator Noonan. The hairline is the most distinctive characteristic. It's a very sharp receding hairline. The nose is very prominent. Gibson then compared body measurements of the seated woman with previous photos of Earhart. In both cases, striking similarities. I usually go from not likely to likely to very likely to extremely likely. And I'd say this is very likely. And something else. The woman on the dock is staring at the Japanese ship Koshu, which is towing a barge with something measuring 38 feet long, the same length as Earhart's plane. For decades, locals have said the plane crashed in the Marshalls and the Japanese ship Koshu took it away. Also in the National Archives, this catalog of government files on Earhart, referencing 170 pages, including information that Earhart was a prisoner in the Marshall Islands. But that document is missing. NBC News reached out to the Japanese Foreign Ministry, Defense Ministry, and their National Archives, all of which said they have no evidence of Amelia Earhart ever in their custody. We believe that the United States government knew Amelia Earhart was in the Marshalls and was in Japanese custody. While not everyone is convinced, history investigators say they'll reveal more in their Sunday documentary, including evidence that Earhart and Noonan died in a Japanese prison camp in Saipan. Tom Costello, NBC News, Washington. Do you really want to find out the answer, though? It's mysteries. mysteries. You would think that there would be records in Japan of prisoners of war. And then that, right. that would have come up somehow, somewhere. You have meticulous records in many ways.